And good morning. We're so glad uh, that all of you are here uh, with us this morning. And as, uh, as many of you know, unless this is your first Sunday, I was put before the church as a, as a pastor, elder candidate recently, and I think you have another week or so to give some input on that decision. Uh, but I thought to be fair, since some of you don't know me as well, that uh, I might give you a little, uh, some more information about me that uh, might help you to know a little bit about what you're getting with me. And, uh, and so the way I wanted to do that was tell you a story about a conversation I had recently. And uh, the conversation was this. I, I had reached out to Bob Heron, one of our pastors, and, and told him I was interested in playing on a soccer team. And he asked me how old I was. And I said, well, I'm 30. And he's like, well, that's perfect. I have a 30 and over league that I can get you on. And I'm like, well, that's great. Because I'll probably, you know, they're probably all like 60 and I'm going to be running circles. That wasn't the case, by the way. Uh, even the like 50-year-old, a little bit overweight guy was better than me and faster than me. But he, he got me on this team, and the way that the seasons work is that you play eight weeks, and then you take a couple weeks off, and then you play another eight weeks. And so uh, I had signed up for that first eight weeks and played, and, and it was good. And then uh, in between, I was getting ready to transition to being on staff here. And so I wasn't sure what my schedule was going to look like, what my evenings were. So I just sent an email to the captain saying, hey, I don't think I can play second session, and I'm starting a new job, and kind of left it at that. Well, the next Sunday at, the, at our game, he kind of in front of the whole team was like, well, what's your new job? And I was like, oh, uh, well, actually, I'm going to be working at a church, and I'm hoping to become a pastor. And you just saw their eyes get big, like, what in the world? I think I really caught him off guard. And so uh, one guy in particular was, like, very interested. Like, I was this exotic animal at the zoo or something, you know. He was just, I can't, I can't figure this out, you know. And, and he, so we started talking, and we're warming up, passing the ball back and forth, and he tells me that he grew up Catholic and went to Catholic college and wasn't really going to church anymore. And, and so that was his background. And so we're passing the ball and kind of out of nowhere, he's like, uh, so Nick, uh, do you sing? I was like, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't really sing. In fact, I have kind of a terrible voice, you know, one of those voices that sends cats and dogs running when they hear it. And, and he's like, oh, okay. And he's thinking and, and we're still passing the ball. And he says, well, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you while you were teaching? I was like, what do, you, what do you mean craziest thing? Like, like, well, I can't imagine what you're talking about. And he's like, well, like, has anyone ever fallen asleep? Or uh, has anyone ever, like, pointed to their watch or gave you one of these numbers? Like, come on, buddy, let's wrap this up. And I was like, no, I've never had that happen. And he's like, okay. And a few more minutes go by, and he's like, well, Nick, tell me, what's some of your best jokes? What's some of your best preacher jokes? And I was like, <laughs> I, well, gosh, I don't, I don't really have any preacher jokes. I'm not sure what to tell you. And in that moment, he stops and he says, Nick, I hate to tell you, but I don't think you're going to make a very good minister. <laughs> you don't sing, you don't tell jokes, and no one falls asleep. And so uh, I just thought I should tell you that up front in case that's what you're expecting. Um, well, today we are, uh, I have the privilege of walking us through the last chapter in, in this series on Habakkuk. And personally, I think it's the best chapter in the book, and I kind of lobbied Chris in order to get it because I, I really wanted to teach it. And I think found in this chapter are some of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. And so I'm excited to get to look at them with you. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, that's page 786. If you're using your own Bible, good luck finding the book of Habakkuk. <laughs> it's a little tricky. Uh, probably just go to the table of contents and look it up. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, and it's not exactly a pleasant thought, and so you probably don't, but we are all just one phone call away from tragedy. 
I know for some of you in this room, you've received a phone call like this already. Maybe it was the call while you were in college to find out that your parents are getting divorced. Or maybe it was the phone call to inform you that your dad passed away. Or maybe it was a phone call to tell you that a friend of yours got in a car accident and they died. Or maybe it was a phone call from your doctor letting you know that the lab results are in and that uh, the test actually revealed it is cancer and that it's worse than they thought. Many of us have been there already, some of us more than others. And if you haven't gotten a call like that yet, just wait, because unfortunately, if you live long enough, one's coming. Now, I know you may be thinking, wow, that's really depressing. Thanks for making us laugh and then getting all heavy all of a sudden. But, uh, that, you know, that's just the reality of the world that we live in. We live in a broken and screwed up world. Sin has wreaked havoc on creation, and, and as a result, natural disasters happen, tornadoes hit, earthquakes occur. But not only that, sin affects our relationships with each other. People are selfish. People hurt each other. And then if that wasn't enough, sin also, it affects our physical bodies. We grow old. We get sick. We get injured. And then worst of all, we all are going to die. And so because of that, because of that reality, we are all just one phone call away from tragedy. Now in today's passage, we're going to look at a guy whose phone call has just come in. The bad news has been delivered, and as a result, we're going to see how he reacts and see if there's anything that we can learn from him that'll help us when our phone call comes. And so in today's passage, we're going to look at three things that Habakkuk does in light of this tragic news. Number one, he makes a request. Number two, he remembers. And then number three, he reacts. Okay, so by way of review, if maybe this is your first Sunday with us, or uh, if you've not been paying attention the last couple weeks, let me try to catch us up to where we're at. Uh, The book opens up with Habakkuk complaining to God for all of the wickedness and all of the evil and violence that he saw in Judah. Uh, He basically complains and and he asks God, God, why are you being silent? Why are you being passive? Why aren't you doing something about this? God then answers him and and he basically tells Habakkuk, look, Habakkuk, I'm, I'm not being passive. I'm, I'm not indifferent to evil. And actually, I have a plan to, to judge it, to punish the evil in Judah. And I'm going to use Babylon to do it. Well, as Al Aiton pointed out in the first week of the series, Habakkuk didn't like that answer. He was very confused as to why God would use a more wicked and godless nation like Babylon to destroy Judah. Well, in chapter 2, Habakkuk then, or God then answers that complaint. And he says, look, Habakkuk, I'm also going to judge and destroy Babylon as well. You just need to wait. You need to be patient. And while you're waiting, realize this, that the righteous shall live by his faith. And Habakkuk, I know you think that, that things have gotten out of control, that you look around your culture and, 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 and there's violence and things don't make sense, and, and you think that I'm, I've forgotten you. But Habakkuk, I have a plan. And, and ultimately, one day, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so that's what Chris talked about last week, learning to wait on the Lord. And so that's where we're at. God has very clearly communicated to Habakkuk that, that judgment and destruction is coming to Judah. And it's going to come by the hands of Babylon. And so with that devastating knowledge, with that devastating news, what does Habakkuk do? Well, number one, again, we see he makes a request. And so uh, look in your Bibles at Habakkuk chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 and 2. It says this, 
A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet according to Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Okay, so we're told at the outset of this, in this chapter, that that chapter 3, it's a prayer. But as we work through it, we're going to see that it's actually more than that. It's actually a song. Uh, The word Selah appears three times throughout it, and and almost all scholars agree that that is some sort of musical direction or musical instruction. And then if that wasn't obvious enough, uh, the very last sentence in the chapter says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so just keep that in mind as we go through this, that this is a song, that it's a prayer. And he starts off this prayer in verse 2 by acknowledging that God has been and is still at work in the world. And so that right there is already a significant change in attitude uh, from Habakkuk's attitude from the beginning of the book. He is saying, God, I have heard of what you have done in the past, and I have just heard what you told me you're going to do in the future. And then he makes this request. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. So what is he saying there? He's saying, God, I acknowledge that you have worked in the past, that you are not a passive God. So Lord, will you in my day revive and renew your work? And then he asks, Lord, Lord, don't just revive your work in some sort of hidden or secretive way. Lord, would you please make your work known to us? Would you make it obvious to your people? And you see, the reason he prays that is Habakkuk recognized that unless the Lord opens blind eyes, his work remains unseen unrecognized and unappreciated. And so he's just simply asking the Lord to to revive it and to make it known. But then he ends this request with one final plea. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. You see, God had had finally moved Habakkuk to a place of seeing that he is just, that he's working, uh, that he's not passive, and that Judah is, is deserving of his wrath. So Habakkuk is not arguing that point with God anymore. He's just simply pleading, Lord, Please, in wrath, remember mercy. It's as if he's saying, Lord, I know you have to do it. Lord, I know that we deserve your punishment. But God, I also know that you are a merciful God. You are a God who loves his people. You know, perhaps Habakkuk was uh, remembering uh, some times past in Israel's history where God showed them mercy. You know, maybe he was remembering that time when uh, the, the people had just been delivered from slavery in Egypt and And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. And and while he's there, he's taking a little bit too long. And so the people begin to grumble. And they go to his brother Aaron and they say, Aaron, make us a new God. Because we don't know what happened to this guy, Moses. And so Aaron takes their jewelry and melts it down into this golden calf. And they begin worshiping it. And God sees it and he gets extremely angry. And he he says he's going to wipe them out. But Moses intercedes and he prays and he And he asked the Lord, he says, Lord, remember your covenant you made to to Abraham. And then it tells us that the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing to his people. Now, to be fair, God still did uh, discipline them. He he still judged them and sent a plague and uh, some of the people were killed. But he definitely showed them mercy because the reality was they deserved to be wiped out. And so maybe Habakkuk was remembering that story or or others like it where God has shown mercy to his people. You see, here's the thing. Habakkuk knew enough about God and God's character to know that he could request such a thing. And so that's number one. He makes a request. So let's move on to number two, and that is he remembers. In verses 3 to 15, 
Habakkuk begins to remember Israel's past. He begins to remember how the Lord intervened and saved them many times throughout their history. And he, in this section, he uses very poetic uh, language and imagery. And to be honest, some of the descriptions are a little hard to follow. Uh, commentators are a little divided as to exactly what all he's describing. But they all agree that at some level, he's recounting and remembering how God had worked and moved to save his people. Uh, particularly during the Exodus and in their conquest of the Promised Land. And so Habakkuk is starting to remember and remind himself of the fact that God has been faithful to his people. Now we won't have time to walk through each of these verses, but I do want to stop and look at a few and to just talk about what he's describing. And so look down at verse 3. He says this, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And so here Habakkuk is talking about the region of Sinai. And we know this because these terms are found in Deuteronomy 33 where Moses is describing God coming from the area of Sinai. And so here, here Habakkuk is picturing God leaving Sinai to come to the aid and rescue of his people in Egypt. And then look at verse 4 and 5. He says, His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. And so there Habakkuk is remembering how God sent the plagues on, on the Egyptians so much so that they eventually let the Israelites leave. And so look down at verse 8 and 10. Verse 8 says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? Then skip down to 10. It says, The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. And so both of these verses seem to, to be talking about the parting of the Red Sea when, when God, in a miraculous way, uh, parted the waves and, and the Israelites crossed on dry ground. You know, particularly there when it talks about uh, it lifted its hands on high. He seems to be using poetry to describe the water piling up on itself. And then look at verse 11. He says, The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. I mean, what in the world is he talking about there? Well, if you've read the book of Joshua recently, which I'm assuming most of you have, um, there's this one story where uh, these five Amorite kings all joined together to, to then go and attack Israel. And so there's this real sense in which Israel, the Israelites are outnumbered, they're outmatched. But the Lord, he tells Joshua, he says this, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. And in Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse 12, it tells us this, At that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. The sun stopped in the midst of heaven, and it did not hurry to set about for a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. Now listen to this part. For the Lord fought for Israel. And so if you've not read that story, it's this crazy story where they're in the midst of fighting this, 
intense battle and the Israelites are, are really beginning to, to win. And, and so in that moment, Joshua prays and he asks the Lord, Lord, let the sun stand still. Don't set this day because if it becomes night, we won't be able to fight anymore. And so the Lord stops the sun in the sky and the Israelites were able to go on and fight and win. And it tells us that the Lord fought for Israel. And so do you see what Habakkuk is doing here? He's reminding himself, he's reflecting on the kind of God that he serves. He's in effect saying, my God is not passive. He is a God who is always working. He is a God who is always on the move. And he is a God who always fights on behalf of his people. And what, what, are, what is God's action for? What is its end in mind? Why does God fight? Why does he move? Look at verse 13 in, in Habakkuk 3. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. So what is Habakkuk saying there? He's saying, God, you have a people. You have always had a people. From Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses. You have always had a people and you've always been faithful to them. You went out for them. You fought for them. And God, as I look back on history... I am reminded that you always save your people. You know, we see this exact pattern all over the Bible. It's a big theme in Scripture, this idea of remembering. Uh, you know, we see people whose tragic phone call has come in and who feel like God doesn't care. They feel like God has forgotten them. And yet, as they begin to remember God's deeds from the past, as they reflect on who God is, their perspective begins to change, just like it has with Habakkuk. And so I just want to look at one more example of this that I think is particularly helpful, and that's Psalm 77. In verse 1 it says this, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord, and the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now catch this part. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders you have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people 
like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And I just love that psalm, and I particularly love how verse 19 tells us this. It says, your way was through the sea. And I love that because that makes no sense from a human perspective. You know, if you think back to that story and you put yourself in the Israelite shoes, they, they had just been freed from slavery in Egypt, and, and so they're starting to leave. And then all of a sudden they look back and the Egyptians are, are falling behind them and they have weapons in their hands. And so here they find themselves trapped against the water and against the Egyptians. And they were probably tempted to think, oh no, we went the wrong way. We should have went left instead of right. No. That is exactly where God wanted to take them. And the lesson for us here is this. Sometimes, maybe even most of the time, God does things in our lives that don't make sense. He has ways and means of salvation that we can't even begin to fathom. You know, again and again, we see this all over the Bible. From the parting of the Red Sea to feeding the people with manna from heaven to water coming out of a rock to a miniature man named David defeating a giant to a Messiah being born of a virgin, being born in a a dungy manger to a Messiah being sent and dying on a cross. And when you think about those things, you realize that God's ways are not your ways, and God's thoughts are not your thoughts. And yet He is faithful to His people. He is faithful to His anointed. And therefore, we can take heart. We can have confidence in His plan for our lives. You know, for me, a time when this, a time for me when this really hit home was I, I had become a new believer and I had this pretty cool job opportunity come up. I had been working at a warehouse right out of high school, and uh, one day our, our neighbor, she had been doing some landscaping in New Albany and was kind of in this really nice gated community, and uh, this guy who was around there started talking with her, and, and he just asked her if she knew any college-age kids looking for a job. And so she thought of me, and so she came over one night and, and told me about it and gave me this guy's phone number. And uh, at the time, I wasn't really looking for a new job, but I was really intrigued uh, like, well, what, I wonder what this guy is looking for. And so I, I gave the guy a, a, a call, and he informed me that he was looking for someone to help take care of an elderly couple in their 90s. And I had just gotten done doing some nurse aid training because I thought maybe I wanted to be a nurse until after I did that training and realized there's no way I could ever be a nurse. <laughs> um, but either way, I was still very qualified for what he was looking for. And so I took this job taking care of this elderly couple. Well, Within three weeks, he informed me that they were going to have to let me go and that they were going to have to hire a female for the job instead. What had happened was um, when I first started, the wife was pretty independent and she could do most of her care herself. Well, she fell and broke her wrist and all of a sudden started needing uh, some personal care that she didn't feel comfortable having a 19-year-old male help her with. And so here I was staring at the Red Sea, if you will. I couldn't see or understand why God had brought me there. Why have me quit a job just so I could turn around and be unemployed three weeks later? You see, what I didn't know in that moment was that God's pathway was through the sea. So the guy who hired me, he felt really bad. He was at one point he's like, You think you can get your old job back? And I was like, Have you ever quit a job before? They don't let you just come back. And uh, so he felt bad and and he um, tried to he finagled an interview with another family for me. And so on my last day at this job, I, I interviewed with this family. Uh, they were in the middle of remodeling a house and, and weren't going to be able to need someone for about six months. And, you know, I wasn't going to be able to wait six months to find a job. And, 
And so it just looked like it really wasn't going to work out. And so I went home that night confused and unemployed. Well, the next morning I get a phone call from this guy and he, he out of nowhere says, would you want to come to Bexley and interview with a job with a different family? And I'm like, well, sure, I'm unemployed. I have nothing else going on today. And so I, I went to this job and, and I interviewed and they offered me a job right on the spot. And it turned out to be an amazing job. And I, I ended up working there for 11 years, all the way up until the point of coming on staff here. And you see, for me as a new Christian, that was a huge lesson in trusting God and to realize sometimes he does things in our lives that don't make sense. Sometimes he gets us in tight spots so that he can turn around and show us his power and his faithfulness. And I can't tell you over the years how many times I've had to go back to that story to remind myself of God's faithfulness of God's provision in my life, to remember and to reflect on the fact that I serve a mighty God, a God who goes out for the salvation of his people. And so that's the second thing we see is he remembers. Let's move on to that third thing, and that is he reacts. And so Habakkuk has made a request of the Lord. He's remembered the Lord's mighty acts in history, and now we get to see his reaction. Look down in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on high places. I think the first thing we can say here is that the Habakkuk who says these four verses is a very different person from the guy who started the book. He starts the book by crying out to the Lord and accusing him of being passive and unjust. And he's at the point now of saying, Lord, I will quietly wait. I will rejoice. His first reaction we see in verse 16 is one of fear and trembling. And based on what he says, it, he seems to be trembling at the knowledge of the Babylonians invading them. Which, to be honest, I really appreciate because it shows us that Habakkuk was still human. It's like even though he's just reflected on who God is and how God saves, he's still afraid of the fact that the Babylonians are on their way to invade them. And yet, and yet, Habakkuk could endure this news because he remembered that an all-powerful God had consistently defended Israel in the past and had promised to do so in the future. You see, earlier when he first heard about the Babylonians and God's plan to use them, he wanted to have a talk with God and to complain about it. But now after reminding himself of the fact that God is infinitely more powerful than Babylon, he has nothing else to say and all he can do is wait. But he doesn't just wait quietly. He rejoices. That's his second reaction is he rejoices. And he rejoices in one of the most remarkable ways in all of the Bible. In verse 17, he is picturing total devastation. I mean, he is picturing the worst case scenario possible. No fruit, no fields, no flocks. And yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You see, Habakkuk has finally learned what God told him in uh, chapter 2, verse 4. And that is this, that the righteous shall live 
by his faith. And so the question for us today is, how do we, like Habakkuk, live by faith and even rejoice when our phone call comes, when tragedy strikes us? And so with that in mind, I just want to share with you four quick application points. I just want to say, though, I just want to qualify it by saying this. I am in no way an expert in this. I am in no way wanting to... I don't, I don't want to come across flippant here like, if you just do these four things, your life will be fine. If you do these four things, it won't be hard. You still won't struggle. But these four application points are in the text, and I believe that God put them there to help us, to help prepare us for when tragedy comes our way. And so the first application point is this. Run to God. While running to friends and family or a counselor may be good at some point, we should not start with them. We need to, like Habakkuk, run to God first. With all of our hurt, with all of our doubt, with all of our confusion. We need to pour out our hearts to Him and run to Him for comfort and for clarity. Only He can answer those confusing questions. Secondly, though, we need to remember God's work in the past. We need to hold on to the promises for the future. You see, here's the thing. We have this advantage living in 2015. We can look back on Habakkuk, we can look back on history and see that the Babylonians did in fact invade Judah. They destroyed the temple. They completely, uh, they sent them into exile and it was, uh, you know, they, they did what God said they were going to do. But we can also look back and see that God brought Israel back like he promised. Seventy years later, they came back and they rebuilt the temple and established themselves as a nation. But not only that, you know, you and I, we have even more of an advantage because we can look back and see more of God's redemptive plan. We can look and see that all along his plan was to send his son Jesus Christ for us. All along God's plan was to send Jesus to defeat sin, to defeat Satan, and to defeat the grave. And so because of that, if you're here today, if, if you know Jesus Christ, you have a bright future. No matter what your current trial or tragedy is, in the end we win. And you're going to need to remember that and remind yourself of that truth if you're going to make it here in this life. As well, though, I think it's helpful for us to remember our own history. Remember how God saved you, how he brought you to himself. I mean, just think about all the, you know, as I think back even on my own story, how I met this guy and I went to this event. And, you know, maybe for some of you, you turned on the TV and you saw Billy Graham. Whatever it is, just Think through that and just remember God, how he, how he weaved it all together in order to bring you to himself. You know, we're getting ready to take communion in a little bit. The primary purpose of communion is to remember Christ's death and his blood that was shed. And so I just want to encourage you as we do that, remember about how God saved you. As well, though, I think it's helpful to remember uh, the different trials and suffering that God has brought you through and remember how he, has, he provided for you in those moments and then thirdly, I think we need to prepare ourselves for pain. You may think that's a little bit odd as Americans. We don't like to think of pain. You know, uh, I think it's Jerry Seinfeld who points out that, uh, you know, it's like maximum extra strength or whatever is like on all of our medication. And, and so there's this sense in which we, we try to avoid pain. We don't want to prepare ourselves for pain. But that's exactly what Habakkuk did. You see, in verse 17, he's picturing the worst case scenario. A scenario in which there's no food, it's total devastation. And I think you and I would do well 
to think through some of our biggest fears, some of our biggest worries, and to play those scenarios out in our mind. What would happen if this happened? And to ask the question, now what? I mean, is God still on the throne? Is he still in control of this world? Is he still in control of your life? Habakkuk did that, and his answer was, I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You know, earlier I just told this story about how I lost my job, and the next day I got a new one. And it was awesome. And again, when I, when I think about that, it still strengthens my faith and my confidence in God. But I want to be fair here. There is a reality that sometimes the job doesn't come. Sometimes the cancer doesn't go into remission. Sometimes it takes our lives. And so in light of that, I think, again, we need to prepare ourselves for pain. And then the last thing is, is I told you at the beginning that this whole chapter is a song. And so I think the last thing we need to do in the midst of tragedy is sing. I don't know why and I don't know how, but there is something very healing, very faith-strengthening when we sing in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of hardship. You know, I was at a funeral earlier this week A dear friend of mine, uh, her grandmother passed away. And it was one of these scenarios where I I had never met the grandmother. uh, But as her family got up one after another and began to talk about her, it was very evident that this was just an amazing godly woman who left such a legacy and such an impact on her family. And this, this dear woman, she even planned out her funeral. And she had different songs she wanted sung and different things she wanted said. But one of the most touching moments in the whole funeral was one of her requests was that her family, all of her family would come up and stand in front of her casket and sing the hymn, How Great Thou Art. And so again, it was just such a privilege to be in that room and to see 20 to 30 people stand up in front of their grandmother's casket or their mom's casket and with tears sing, How Great Thou Art, with a hand raised and with the other hand wiping away tears. And I just have to believe there was something very healing, very faith-strengthening as they praised the Lord in the midst of that tragedy. You know, there have been many a Sundays that I've come into this church with a heavy heart. And I've been in the midst of suffering and trials. And yet as I sing, as I worship, again I am filled with hope and with joy. You know, you heard me say at the beginning of this, I can't sing. It doesn't stop me. You know, you may want to scoot down when you hear me because it's distracting, but it doesn't stop me and it shouldn't stop you. I know some of you, you think, well, I don't really like the music here. It's too loud. It's, it, we, we should only sing hymns, whatever. If you're not here singing, you're missing out on a blessing from the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you to sing. I guess the last thing I would say is this. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you can't say that you are a Christian, then the honest truth is, is that you can't really do any of these things I just talked about. The fact that you don't know Jesus Christ means that you are separated from God. You know, Jesus, he said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so again, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're just checking it out, we're so glad you're here. But I want to be straight with you. I want to share reality with you. If, you, if, if that phone call comes for you, you're going to have no hope in the midst of tragedy. You're going to be left devastated. And so I just want to plead with you. There's going to be people from our prayer team down here after the service. If you just want to talk with someone, if you want to ask more questions about Christianity, I want to encourage you to do that. But you can put your faith in Jesus Christ today, and you can come into the family of God. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for this little book of Habakkuk. God, thank you that 
you know, before this series, I wasn't too familiar. And, and God, I can honestly say now that I've been so blessed and so helped as I've, as I've seen how you met this man where he was at and how you spoke life and gave him hope for his future. And God, I pray for anyone here today who is maybe in the midst of suffering, who's in the midst of tragedy, or maybe someone who's afraid of that phone call coming because they've had it before. God, would you meet them? Lord, would you help enable them to run to you with all of their fear, with all of their doubt, with all of their confusion? And God, would you bring them peace? Lord Jesus, thank you that one of your names is that, is that you are the Prince of Peace, Lord. And I believe you can bring comfort and you can enable someone to rejoice today who, who hasn't for a long time. And I ask that you would, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.